growing up in Minnesota, I thought mistletoe was a myth. I thought it was something uh, some guy invented just to get a kiss from a pretty girl. Or maybe it was Michael's. They were looking to concoct something to get you to buy it to decorate your home with. But when I got down here and in the fall, all the leaves drop and you go, what is all that stuff in the trees? And mistletoe is as common around here as crabgrass. Um, but mistletoe doesn't grow by itself. You're not going to go around town and see a nice little mistletoe bush. Mistletoe is a parasite. It requires a host to draw its nourishment and its support from. Separate it from the host and mistletoe will wither and die. And mistletoe provides nothing to the host. The night before Jesus was crucified, to emphasize his importance, his role in the life of the disciples, even knowing he would not be physically with them much longer, Jesus uses an example similar to mistletoe. He uses the example of a vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is to highlight to them the importance of his relationship to them. Today is going to be the last in the series of the I am statements of Jesus Christ. We didn't look at them all. We looked at a number of them throughout the year, really just to emphasize to us who our Lord and Savior is. Who is he and what should he mean to me? He is the truth. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the way, the only way to the Father. He is the bread of life. Today, as we see Christ as the true vine, we see that apart from him, we are truly doomed. But bound to him, we find the fullness of what it means to be a child of God. And there is no middle road. Let's pray. Fathers, we open your word. We seek your glory. We seek your face. We seek the truth. For apart from that, we can do nothing. We wholly depend upon you. Father, we thank you for sending the spirit by which we might have fellowship with one another and with you. Oh God, that you sent your son, the word made flesh, that we might know the vine, abide in the vine who was sacrificed for us, that we might live. We beg that my lips would be guarded and our hearts would be discerning as we plow into your word this morning. We beg this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we break down, we'll start out breaking down kind of the metaphor a little bit. Where are we? Always a little odd to just plunge into a section. This is the night before Jesus was executed. In chapters 13 through 17, you have the span of about two or three hours. 
in Jesus' life in that massive amount of text. And in 14 through 16, you have Jesus' last words to his disciples. The night before he's executed, he knows this. And he is trying to plow into them his final message. Chapter 17, the great prayer of God the Son to God the Father. That's where we are in the middle. John chapter 15. And Jesus uses the metaphor of the vine. A vine is not going to provide you any shade. A vine is not going to provide you wood to build your house. The only purpose for a vine is the fruit that comes from the vine. So as we look at this today, we're going to see an emphasis on the fruit that comes from the vine. We're also going to see in this passage the metaphor of the vine dresser. What is the purpose of the vine dresser? To get more fruit from the vine. The vine dresser tends to the vine to make sure that the vine is fruitful. He does so by getting rid of unhealthy and unhelpful branches. Now, it's important for us whenever we're looking at metaphors in Scripture not to take the metaphors too far. We know, because we've had science classes in high school, that the leaves do provide nourishment for the tree. You know, chlorophyll, photosynthesis, and all of that, and it plows back in, and it all works together. Okay, so yeah, we get that. And oh, by the way, there's roots that the... Jesus doesn't need anything. Jesus doesn't need anything. So we can only take the metaphor as far as the passage gives us. And so as we get into this today, that is where we are going to try and stay. We're going to try and stay in our lane as best we can. A couple of the purposes we see within this metaphor is the interconnectedness between the Father and the Son. And John's gospel is absolutely breathtaking. If you were just to take some time and read through John's gospel, the relationship before the, between the Father and the Son is intimate. And it is beautiful how everything that Jesus did was for the glory of the Father. Everything that Jesus did was by the design and for the purpose of what God the Father was doing. He did nothing of his own. He did that which the Father was doing. We see also in the interconnectedness of the Father and the Son that the work that the Father is doing as the vine dresser to cultivate the saints that have been grafted into the body. It also highlights our interconnectedness with Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 11, verses 17 to 24, Paul refers to Israel as the vine and we Gentiles as grafted in branches. Like we didn't belong there in the first place, but we were grafted in and some of those branches were taken away. Very interesting passage, but this is all the work of the father. Who is he going to graft in? Who is he going to prune? And we're going to see that as this fleshes out. 
the big idea of this passage in chapter 15, 1 through 11, is found in verse 8. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In this verse, we see three things that come out in this passage. The Father's glory is foremost in the mind of Christ. Everything Jesus did was for the glory of the Father. The Father is working for the glory of the Son, and it, it is beautiful to see this work out in John's Gospel. The mind of Christ, the life of Christ, the joy of Christ was all in the glory of the Father. Another thing this verse highlights is the flourishing and fruit-bearing of disciples are going to further the glory of the Father. And as such, Jesus desires that we bear fruit. He will do anything to ensure that we would be fruit-bearing. The other thing this verse shows us uh, at the end of verse 8 is that you will prove to be my disciples. Our fruit-filled lives evidence Christ in us to a lost and dying world. Words are cheap. It's easy to say something. It is harder to do it. A few chapters before in John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The evidence of that discipleship is their love, this fruit borne out toward one another. So as we look at the rest of this passage, as we break it down, we're actually going to kind of pinball around instead of taking it straight through. Let's keep this big idea in mind that Christ is looking to see that the disciples bear fruit for the glory of God. Now, abide shows up 10 times in this passage. In 11 verses, the word abide comes up again and again. What does it mean for us to abide in Christ? The word abide simply means to sojourn, to dwell with, and time and place are involved. It's not just a moment, it is time required. The Father, if you flip back uh, one chapter in chapter 14, verses 8 through 11, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. The Father dwells with the Son. In that same chapter, down in verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you, that word is to dwell with, to abide with you forever. Same word. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt 
among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father. In that same chapter, John chapter 1, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, and sends Andrew and another disciple after Jesus. And so Jesus is walking away, and these two guys are following him, and Jesus stops and turns around, and, What are you looking for? And they said, Where are you going? And Jesus says, come and see. Actually, they said, where do you dwell? Where do you abide? And so Jesus says to come and follow him. And they abided with him. That same word. They spent time with him. To live and to abide is the idea of a husband and a wife. They dwell together. Jesus says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will abide with him. So Jesus commands that we, his disciples, dwell with him, to abide with him. That's his command. Abide in me and I in you. Chapter 15, verse 4. It's a command. So why would I bother? Why do I do this? Why does Jesus command us to have such intimacy with him? Consider the metaphor. He is the vine. We are the branches. We are utterly, absolutely, totally, completely dependent on the vine. We are absolutely dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. The branches need the vine for nourishment and nutrients. The branches need the vine for support. The vine is the source of life for the branches. That is the point for us. For a saint, if I live my life enmeshed with Christ, I will bear much fruit. He makes that plain. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, that makes perfect sense. You cut a branch off the vine, it's going to fall to the ground. It is going to wither in time and will die. Now, the focus of this passage for Christ and his disciples in this fruit bearing is for the glory of God. And this, while you might go, oh, this is for the apostles and this is ministerial only, it goes so much further beyond that in our lives. Consider the weight of Jesus' statement. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Elsewhere in Scripture, Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Paul's at Mars Hill, and he tells them that it is by God, by Christ, that we live and move and have our being. By Christ we live. By Christ I even move. By Christ I even exist and have my being. 
It is by his will that this comes to us. Colossians 1.16 makes plain that it is by Christ that all things are created. All things by Christ. One verse later in Colossians 1.17, Paul makes plain that it is because of him that all things consist and hold together. Why is there something rather than nothing? It is the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Day by day, moment by moment. And he's not straining. He provides us the bread and is our nourishment. So, apart from him, I can do nothing. If I step back and I consider my aspirations... And we're looking at 2023. I hope you're not looking at 2023 with dread. But what do you want to do? What would you like to see happen in the next six months, in the next six years? What do you want to be? What kind of home improvement do you want to do on your soul? What do you desire in your relationships? And then step back and consider, apart from me, you can do nothing. If I am not abiding in Christ, my life has no meaning. I cannot begin to fathom existence apart from the God who created me. Only in Christ can I know my true identity. Who am I? Otherwise, it's the fluctuations of my feelings. It's whatever the world tells me. No, that's false. It is Christ alone. My purposes are vain and pointless. I am strive vanity of vanity, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. It is chasing after the wind. All of our striving under the sun apart from Christ is meaningless. It's all going to burn. We are building with wood, hay, and stubble. Am I building my life on the sand? When the storms come and the floods rise and everything collapses, what will I have left if I am not building my life on Christ? My very existence this is for the believer and the unbeliever. My very existence is by the grace of God. My breath now, my breath this afternoon. So this is true in all of our lives. And yes, it's true in our ministry as well. You know, if, if I come up here to preach and I'm doing this in my own strength and I'm just giving you guys happy words, it's meaningless. It's dust. And it will have no impact. It will be impotent. And Christ's church will not be built. When we serve, we serve for his pleasure. We serve in his strength. What fruit will this sermon bring? I don't know. That's not my job. My job is to preach the word and let the vine nourish the body as he sees fit. Apart from me, 
you can do nothing, but in him we can bear much fruit. Fruit and a life that glorifies God. That sounds great. So how do I do that? How do I abide how do I abide in the Lord so as to live a life that will bear much fruit? So there's a lot of parallelism in this chapter, very rabbinical, very Jewish. We see that a lot in the Psalms and we see it here. In verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, it is he who bears much fruit. So we see our interconnectedness with Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. But notice down in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. We'll get to that, the last part of that, a little bit later. But this parallelism, abide in me and I in you, you know, he changes it, abide in me and my words abide in you. Jesus is declaring to them that his abiding in them depends on his word abiding in them. And that really shouldn't surprise us at all because he is the word made flesh. John begins his very gospel with that. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jump down to verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How deep is that? I mean, I I would hope that there's nobody here who would not desire to have a love relationship with an individual who knows you completely, who knows you intimately, who desires the very best for you. Why would you not want to have a relationship with that person? A person who will help you, a person who will assist you, a person who will nourish you. One who desires to have relationship with you and who promises that in him you will have delight and the fullness of joy. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. How do I abide in his love? By keeping his commandments. Now we may go, well, that's freaky. (laughs) I'm going to abide in your love by keeping commandments. That sounds like the Pharisees. That sounds very Pharisaical. But that is the example that Jesus lived out. He makes that plain also in verse 10. I have kept 
my father's commandments and abide in his love. There you see that interconnectedness of the father and the son. It was the son's delight to abide in the commandments of the father. And by obeying and doing what the father called him to do, he was enjoying the love of the father. This is one of the most astonishing parts of John's gospel. He knew the deepest love of the Father that he could know by abiding in the Father, abiding in his love, by keeping his commandment. And Jesus makes plain to us that this love can be experienced by us. The love of the Father and the Son can be experienced by us. Abide in my love. How? By keeping my commandments. You know, we have it all wrong. We think, we think oh, to have fullness, I need to follow my own heart. No, you need to follow Christ. We, have, we follow him in faith and obedience and love as he has commanded us. This should be our thirst. Now, it's no easy thing. This is no easy thing. Otherwise, he wouldn't be exhorting us to this end. He wouldn't be revealing this to us, grabbing us by the ears and going, hey, listen, on the night before I'm crucified. And so Jesus, in this passage, he spells out four consequences to abiding and not abiding. On the negative side, let's look first at the not abiding. In verse 4, Jesus Christ says, if you do not abide in the vine, you will not bear any fruit. It can't. It won't happen. Abiding in Christ is required to bear fruit. That makes sense. The branch has to stay connected to the vine or it's not going to happen. Fruit is a natural byproduct of a healthy tree or in this case, a branch. This is when you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I'm going to drop three probably from that self-control. When you look at that fruit, you go, oh, okay, I'm going to try and be more gentle. Oh, I'm going to try and be more joyful. And you go, no, <laughs> ain't going to happen. I've joked before, trees don't try to bear fruit. You don't see trees straining in the pasture to try and put out more fruit. It's a natural byproduct of a healthy tree. And so we can look at our own lives and go, do I see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Do I see these things in my life? Thomas, Bro Thomas Brooks wrote, high words surely make a man neither holy nor just, but a virtuous life a circumspect walking makes him dear to God. So I look at my life and go, do I see that fruit in my life? Do I desire to see that fruit in my life? Am I looking to cultivate in my life that relationship with Jesus Christ, that intimacy, that obedience that will then bear that fruit? What is going to help me abide in his love? And it is going to be obedience to what he 
has commanded. So fruit is a natural byproduct of a healthy tree. But fruit is also a reproduction. Fruit is a reproduction. Jesus called his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. To reproduce those who love Christ. To reproduce those who long to be like Christ. Jesus told the disciples in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. I read this scripture earlier. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. I am the example. Follow after me. And so prove to be my disciples. So part of bearing fruit is reproducing disciples, but what if I am unwilling? That would be odd. What if I am unwilling to invest in the lives of others? That they might grow to be disciples. What if I am willing, unwilling to share the hope of my salvation? What if I am unwilling to pray for the redemption of my friends or my siblings or my parents or my children or my coworkers? What if I am unwilling to speak of Christ to the lost souls I know? Do I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Do I see God working in me a desire to see saints built up and the lost to know him? The fruitless branches are taken away. These are some some very sobering verses. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You jump down a little later and you see they are gathered for the fire and are burned in verse 7. The vine dresser will break away the fruitless branches and burn them. There's no restoration. He will burn them. Thomas Brooks also wrote, A tree that is not fruitful is fit only for the fire. Christianity is not talking, but a walking with God who will not be put off with words. If he sees no fruit, he will take up his axe and then the soul is cut off forever. So does this mean we can lose our salvation? I'm in the vine, but then... And we've talked about this before, but it is worth reiterating. It is worth having clarity, you know, for our younger ones and our older ones that we know what God's word says and what does it mean to us. Jesus told his disciples, already you are clean. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This harkens back to chapter 13 where he's washing the feet of the disciples. And Peter says, oh, Lord, no, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, "If you, I don't wash your feet. You have no part in me. Oh, Lord, wash my whole body. No, you are already clean. Jesus says, to him, you are clean, how? By the word that he has spoken to us. So here are some truths about life in the church that we need to know 
because the word makes this plain. The church will be built by the Holy Spirit of born again believers under the headship of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. The church is going to have in it those who have been stirred by the message of the gospel, those who love the fellowship of the saints and who love the experience of worship, but are not part of the church. When the cares and the pleasures of life come, they will be choked. When persecution comes against the church, they will wither. Jesus tells us in the parable of the seed in the soil. And John makes plain in his first letter that those who were in amongst us, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have stayed in the vine. But they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. These are those who are spoken of here. They do not abide in the word of Christ. They do not love Christ. They do not abide in his word, nor love his word. And Jesus will one day say, I never knew you. And the dead branches will be gathered and burned. But it also says in chapter 2, every branch that does bear fruit, the Father prunes that it may bear more fruit. So what is this pruning? Why does a vine dresser prune the branches? So that it will be more fruitful. So that it will put forth more fruit. And he goes on in the next verse to say, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And you go, what does that have to do with anything that's going on here? The word clean that Jesus uses here is the same word he uses for pruning. It is the same word. It is, it is a pruning. It is a purging. Already you have been purged. Already you have been pruned. How? By the word. We have been changed and altered by the word of God. In my last sermon on the bread of life in John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69, Jesus Christ asks, are you guys going to go too? Because a whole bunch of disciples just left, left the ship. And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The word of Christ changed these men and they believed. When Peter earlier on confessed that Jesus Christ was the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus said to him, man has not given you this. Man has not given you this knowledge. You did not pick it up on the street. Essentially, the Father has given this to you. But pruning hurts. Discipline is hard. What you are doing is wrong. You are in sin. What you are doing is unhelpful in your life. We don't want to hear those words. That's not comfortable. But it is necessary. It is needful. It is the work of the Father 
in our lives. Hebrews 12 makes that plain. As he talks about the discipline of God. But it is our work also. It is our work to submit to his hand as he prunes us. It is our work to repent of our sin. It is our work to put off the sin and the deeds that so easily entangle us and to run the race. It is our work to follow after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is our work to obey. And God will complete the work that he is doing in you. That is a promise you can take to the bank. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. We strive after the holiness without which no man will see God. So two of the consequences. We see ultimately the burning, the breaking away of branches. We see the pruning of the Heavenly Father and we see the prompting to be praying. I read it earlier and this is going to make conservative and biblical Christians squirm. Verse 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let's just ignore that one and move on. What, what do I do with that? And we don't want to fall into prosperity theology. So what does the first part of the verse say? You abide in me and my words abide in you. Live in the word. Live in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If his word abides in me, I will respond to the pruning that comes at the hand of the Father. I will long to see the Father glorified. Those things will become my prayers. And these are things that the Lord is pleased to respond to. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Let's not assume the answer. I can't. I don't know how God will respond. But he promises us that he will respond. How is he going to answer it? I don't know. I can't assume the outcome. I can't assume his purpose and plan. But more and more as I abide in his will, my mind will be the mind of Christ. And I will desire the things that he desires. Now, this does have an apostolic bent to it. He is saying this to the disciples. And they did things that we don't do. As far as healings and such. I don't know if any of you have ever done a healing. But they did at the word of Christ. But that does not dismiss the exhortation of our Lord to be fervent in prayer about these things. The last consequence we see of abiding in Christ should just choke you up. And it's in verse 11. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you haven't gotten enough evidence from the lips of Christ that obedience is a good thing, he drops verse 11 into your lap. 
I tell you this, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That his joy might be in us. And you might go, well, wasn't he a man of sorrows? A man of anguish and despair even? Why would I want that? No, he was. Yes, God looks at the sin of the world and he hates the sin of the world. He, he is, has displeasure in the unrighteousness. There is sorrow over the consequences of evil. He wept at Lazarus's tomb that Lazarus died. But there is none more full of joy in the cosmos than the living God. Why on earth would the angels come with great news of great joy that Christ was born? Psalm 115 verse 3 says, God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. He is sovereign. He does that which brings him delight. And God in his sovereign hands, he works all things together, even difficult things to bring him pleasure because his ultimate designs and purposes are unfolding. John Piper notes that there is not a happier being in all the cosmos than the living God and by extension, Christ. And he tells us these things that our joy may be full. My joy is scant. You don't want my joy. But Christ gives us his joy. You think of the most joyful person you can think of, and I'm sure they have downer days. Jesus is promising us his joy. Infinite joy. The infinite joy of infinite God poured into our itty-bitty containers, full to overflowing, a teacup at the base of Niagara Falls. That is our joy in Christ to us. I want that. I want that joy. That joy is found by abiding in Christ, walking in obedience to his word. Saint wrestle like Jacob with the living God. I want that. I don't want the squalor of my own life and the things I've been chasing after. I will not let go of you until you bless me, cried Jacob. Cry that to the living God. Persevere. Do not quit. Beg him. He says that he desires that your joy be full. Ask and it will be given to you. I am the vine. Where do you sit today? Do you doubt your status in the vine? Then I encourage you to seek his face. For today is the day of salvation. For us as saints, abide in his word. Abide in his word. If you're not abiding in his word, abide in his word. I mean, I can't say as a believer, I love the Lord, but I have nothing for his word. 
I'm a hypocrite. That is false. That doesn't work. If I love the Lord, if I truly love the Lord, I need to be in his word and hear his voice that I might be the man he desires me to be. You know, and then Saint, here's a, here's a tough one. Beg him for pruning. Each one of us has leaves and twigs and stuff that need to be popped off. Beg him for pruning and submit to his hands that we might know the fullness of joy and the hope and the love that's found only in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for your word. So I beg that your word would do its good work in our hearts and our minds. Oh God, that we would not be complacent in what you have declared to us, but that we would feed upon it, that it would change us heart and soul, and that you would be glorified in the work that comes from our hands and our feet as we look to Christ, our Lord and Savior, for our strength and our nourishment. We beg this in Jesus' name. Amen.